Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. How was everybody's Thanksgiving? Very nice, right? I imagine many of us, when we uh, go into Thanksgiving, we're very excited to see our family and friends, right? Uh, what's, what, what's one thing I often tend to hear about post-Thanksgiving is the family drama that happens, right? It seems to me that there's a, there's a constant conflict after gratitude that follows, particularly after this holiday, but it's funny because while many of us may be coming in here to, in hopes to seek from the Lord some resolution for our family conflict from a couple days ago, we also see that there's conflict everywhere these days. If you're up to date with your current events, you may have heard of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that's going on. On top of that, there's civil wars going around in the world like countries of Myanmar, and then you also have the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. And then even you have even some that are even closer to home. A couple of years back, if you remember, in Pittsburgh, there was a shooting at the synagogue. Um, and even a couple of years ago, not to, maybe it was like two years ago, where you had political rioters storming the White House. And so you see, you have all these conflicts constantly popping up. There's all this chaos and mayhem that is going on. And as I'm just meditating on today's mess, on today's word, I can't help but feel that there's this one thing in common that they all have. It seems to be this motivation by hate. And it's becoming altogether too common in our culture, this kind of toxicity, this toxic and hateful environment and Friends, I can't help but just have this weight on my heart that if anyone's going to change it, it has to be us. It has to be us. It's got to be us who believe what Jesus said, that we are to not just love God, but also love one another. That we're to love one another in this room. But we're also not to just keep it in this room, but take it outside. That we are to bring the love of God into our communities and just somehow, some way, change the tenor of the conversation, the tone of the conversation today. With so much division in the world, so much chaos that's going on, so much conflict, not only within our own homes or in the church, but just all around us. I want us to dive in together to see how God calls us at his church to live in a time that is full of so much chaos. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 16. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 16. So would you all stand with me as we read the word of God this morning? You can just follow along with me as I read this aloud. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 16, the word of God says this. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. 
Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And do not think you know it all. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. If there's one big idea I just want to share for all of us here today is that God's family includes many different kinds of people who live together in harmony. Let me read that again. God's family includes many different kinds of people who live together in harmony. So when we look at a world that is filled with so much conflict and chaos that's just going all around... I'm constantly reminded that when we look at the scriptures here today, we've been in this series of one another, and today's message is on how do we live in harmony. And so I want to share three points for us that we could kind of just help tackle this. And my first point that I want to share is be like-minded, have the same attitude. Let me say that again. Be like-minded and have the same attitude attitude. So let me ask you this question. When was the first time you realized you were different? Take a second. Think about it. When do you think was the first time you realized you were different? For me, it was right around the time, it's probably around like maybe 10 years old, I had moved from Baltimore to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, going from the, the, pro, the urban projects into the rural suburbs. And I can't say it was the best experience, um, not only between the culture shock, but it was the first time I experienced racism, where I was... My, my parents are of Korean heritage, but I come into school and I'm being thrown at all these racial, uh, racial slurs. And I think that was the first time I brought this up to my father and I asked, why are they calling me these things? And I think that was the first time my father told me that, oh, Paul, it's because we're, we're not like them. We're different. And I wrestled with this as to what does that even mean? To be different. Now granted, not all difference, hear me when I say this church, not all differences are bad. For example, raise your hand if you are introverted. I was a little worried that introverts would be uncomfortable raising their hands. <laughs> raise your hand if you are extroverted. Where's my extroverts? Where's my in-betweens? Yes, kind of. You can't raise your hand twice. <laughs> Now let me ask you this. Who here is a morning person? Where are my early birds? Yes. 
I'm not one of you. We're my night owls. <laughs> yes. Now, where are those people who like function for that one hour called lunch? There you go. <laughs> You see, we see that there's an infinite variety of personalities, temperaments. We know that no two people are alike. Different DNA, genetic codes, physical abilities, characteristics. These, on top of that, we have different upbringings, backgrounds, family of origin plays a powerful role in shaping who you are and what you know. An example, if I said the word father. Everyone in this room, when I say the word father has a different image of what a father may look like. You have different cultures and ethnic heritage and values, different experiences in the genders, the ages, and race. On top of that, you have experiences growing up vastly shaping who we are. Then we go even farther into generations. If you're a boomer, Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z, each generation bears their unique imprint of the time in which we grew up in. Let's go another step. Social economic strata. From the very rich to the very poor, and even within the very rich and the very poor, they define what wealth looks like very differently. Then you have educational experiences of those who may have gotten a PhD in Ivy League and then somebody who just skipped high school altogether and just got their GED. And don't even get me started on church experiences, our spiritual experiences. Some of us may have walked in here because we've had great church experiences and some of us not so much. See, church, we are all so, so different. Even the twins and the triplets. Not one single person is alike. And yet, in all these differences of what makes us so individually unique, God says, be like-minded. How, how, how is that supposed to work? How is that supposed to work? See, church, being like-minded doesn't necessarily mean that we all have to agree about everything. But what it does mean is that we should have the mind and attitude of Christ. See, Paul uses the same phrase to be like-minded in Philippians chapter 2. He says this, is there... Any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Here in the Greek text, Paul is using that same word he uses in Romans here of being like Minded. I remember a pastor ex- sitting down with this couple and s- explaining that when you get married, the two become what? One. Which one? Oh, right? And it's the same question that I would like to pose for all of us here today. With so many different minds here, whose mind are we to be like? Hmm. 
right? I could say our wonderful Pastor Andrew, he's got a great mind. Yeah? <laughs> could be you could follow mine. I don't know how much, right? All the introverts might be like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> no, but Paul says, whose mind are we to be like? Like Christ. See, Paul describes the mind of Christ here in, the, in this passage. He says, in verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to, but instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. See, this here Paul describes the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, that even though he was God, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself and became a man. He humbled himself even to the point of death. This is the mind of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus. Church, empty yourself. Humble yourself. Put others before yourself. Sacrifice yourself. Sacrifice yourself. I can imagine there's a little bit of conviction resting on your heart right now. But hear me when I say this, brothers and sisters. Everything that God asks you to do is something he has already done for us. And so when God asks you to live in harmony with others, he is living in harmony with you. When he's asking you to be like-minded, he's offering Jesus as the example. And so the first step in living harmony with others is to be like-minded, have that same attitude as Jesus. And if we are to do that, we need to calibrate to Jesus to live in harmony. About 400 years ago, Charles V, he steps down as the Roman emperor and in his palace in Spain, he famously has these six clocks that no matter how hard he tried, he could not get them to strike at the same time. And it drove him crazy. And he mentions this in his memoirs. How is it possible for six clocks to chime all at the same time? It's even more impossible for the six nations of the Holy Roman Empire to live in harmony. It cannot be done, even if they call themselves Christians. Interesting is that today, 400 years later, we know how it is possible to make six clocks chime all at the same time. And here's what we do. We log all those six clocks to have the same power source and we calibrate them to the standard, right? The Greenwich Mean Time so that they would all strike exactly at the same time. Same power source, same standard. Calibrating to the mind of Jesus, the way we live in harmony is that we have the same power source in us, the Holy Spirit. When we think, when we learn and the same standard is given to us when we calibrate ourselves to the mind of Jesus. And when we learn to think like Jesus, we can live in harmony. Church, be like-minded. Have the same attitude 
as Jesus. My second point is be sympathetic, have the same feelings. We not only align our minds, but we must also align our hearts like Jesus. There's power in hearing a person's story and feeling their pain. Romans 12, verse 15 says, Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Feel what the other person is feeling. I remember I was having a very good day. Very great day. I'm all jolly and good. All cheery. But my wife comes over to me and is having this situation that had blown up in her face. And she comes over to me super anxious, all freaked out. I don't know what's going on. And I, and I proceed to tell her, baby, just relax. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sweating, right? <laughs> it's one thing to be on the bright side, right? But it's also true and vice versa if it's even harder when you're the one who's down. Brothers and sisters, right? It's hard to be cheery when you see someone get the promotion that you wanted or the car that you were dreaming of or the life that you wanted to live. They are taking the opportunities that you have. And yet the Bible seems to call us to say, rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy for them. In Philippians 3.8, it says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. There's this word that Paul uses here that we say, sympathes, which is the word, as you might guess, for sympathy. But this word, sympathies, means to feel with or to identify with the feelings of others. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I remember hearing the story of President uh, Gerald Ford where he takes this famous tumble while walking down Air Force One. So he's walking down from the plane with his wife, Betty, and he beats her to the bottom, right? Unfortunately... It was all over the news, late night shows, all making fun of him called President Klutz. It's an embarrassing moment, but he's gracious and, you know, he recovers. Interestingly enough, a few, a few years later, President Ford was at Northeastern State University and he was invited to have breakfast with some of these student leaders. And these students are all, you know, coming out of the elevator. One, uh, one young student, her heel gets caught on the carpet and falls face flat right in front of the president. Now, can you imagine 19 years old, fresh into college, and you falling face flat with all the press and cameras around? How mortified she must have been. She immediately starts, like, apologizing. I'm so sorry, Mr. President. I didn't mean to, you know, all that jazz. And President Ford, he hushes her and says, hey, don't worry about it. I know how you feel. I can understand. I can sympathize. Church, did you know that God knows how you feel when you stumble? Do you? Do you know, did you know 
that God knows how you feel when you stumble. Hebrews 4, it's, it's, there's a passage where it talks about how, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, we have fallen, we have stumbled, and we have sinned. And yet the word reminds us, Jesus reminds us that rather than approaching him with fear, we are to approach him with confidence. Why? Because we are coming to a God who knows how you feel. We're coming to a God who's experienced our weaknesses, our struggles, and he's able to empathize. In the English language, you may use two different words, but here in the Greek text, Paul still uses the same word, sympathies. Sympathies. He is feeling what you are feeling. And he reminds us that you will find the grace in your time of need. You know, sometimes the best gift we can give someone is simply the gift of an open ear. Just listening to them and sympathizing with them in their struggles. I remember when my friend, I went down to visit him, super excited to hang out. I haven't seen my boy in a, in, in, in a minute. And he suddenly just drops this bomb on me and says, yeah, man, oh, it's been Life's been tough. I was like, yeah, what's going on? He says, yeah, well, <clears throat> my dad, I just found out my dad's been cheating on my mom, and now we just kicked him out. I don't know how to answer that. And in my pastoral mind, I'm like desperately flipping through my mental Bible of finding a passage of how to redeem the situation, trying to think of any kind of like quote I can find, I can remember from the internet or some social media post on how to respond, what to say. And I sit there in silence, unsure of what to say while trying to desperately think of something. And next thing I know, he's finished talking and he says, hey man, thank you for listening. And asks, can we do this again? See, my tendency when someone is faced with a problem is to put on my uh, fix-it hat. And maybe you might, there might be some of us here that, that might also have that hat in their back pocket at all times, ready to fix a problem when it comes your way. You have a problem, let me give you a solution. Let me help you fix it. My wife will tell you it doesn't work too well in our marriage. <laughs> There was a time where my wife was super stressed out with stuff going on with, with my family. And there was a lot of pressure just being placed on her. And she starts venting. And I can't tell you how every fiber in my body, my being was itching to tell her what she could do to resolve the issue. But I remember the Holy Spirit whispering this one time to me. She needs your ear more than your mouth. And more than your head, she needs your heart. Shut up and lend her your shoulder. 
Church, could I share with you some words of wisdom? That most people you encounter do not always need our wise advice and counsel. What they need is for us to listen and feel their hearts, to sympathize with them. A listening ear goes a long way towards living in harmony. It almost makes me think, what might have changed in all those circumstances that I shared earlier? Had in the beginning, someone had taken just a second to listen. My last point I want to share with all of us is be humble and have the same regard. In Romans 12, 16, the word says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. See, Paul connects this idea of living in harmony with pride. That our own pride looks down on others. But Paul says, do not be proud. Don't look down on others as inferior or even less than. First Peter reminds us in, in chapter 3, verse 8, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. One of the things Paul highlights to living in harmony is that you can't be proud, conceited, or arrogant, but we have to be humble. And that often will mean regarding others as either equal or even above yourself. Don't look down on anyone, but move towards the, the other person, including those who are different from you. In Korean culture, power is everything. We have a hierarchy system that where when, I, when you meet someone, sometimes even before you ask their name, you ask, what year were you born? Because age defines the relationship. Now, this is just within Koreans, how much dynamic there is in that. Can you imagine what that looks like with people who aren't Korean? I had two brothers. Uh, I had a brother and sister that in my, in my old church, back at, the, at my old Korean church, where they had wanted to come and be a part of the ministry, in the youth ministry that I was um, leading. And so I invited them to come and join. However, I began to see that when they would walk into church, in Korean culture, um, hospitality and courtesy is a very common practice. And the way we do so is by no matter what age, you always greet somebody and say hello. If you don't, it's considered extremely disrespectful. And I'm sitting in the lobby, and Ben and Michelle, they're not Korean. And they're sitting in the lobby with me. We're hanging out with our youth students. And I began to notice that all these adults are walking by and greeting the children, but not them. That bothered me a lot. I asked, then I proceeded to ask the senior pastor, what is wrong with your people? Not the kind of question, but I was a young, very like, you know, what's the word, pompous? 
right? <laughs> Very just kind of like in-your-face 24-year-old, right? Ready to like just say it as it is. And what I, what I came to a realization is that even for the church, it's hard to really receive people who aren't your kind of people. And there may be people that you are uncomfortable with who aren't your kind of people. That can mean a lot of things. That can mean culturally, racially, socioeconomically. That even those who have money struggle to hang out with those who are poor. Those who have different backgrounds. I hear that between Mawa, Bergen County and Sorry, from coming from Mawa to West Milford, it's like 20 minutes, but it's a whole different culture. And trying to go over there and sit with them might not be quite <laughs> your kind of people from West Milford. And I get it, it's human nature. We talk about this a lot, right? When we walk into a room, the first thing you do is what? Look for somebody you know. The most common question asked when someone invites you is what? Who's going? Is there somebody I know? And it's not uncommon. We all do it. If you don't see someone you know, the next thing you look for is someone like us. Someone like us, however you want to define that, whatever that looks like. We look for someone like us. All of us do it. Here's the problem. It's not a terrible thing, but it can be when it gets carried too far. If we're not careful, we end up all living in this little bubble. We form these little cliques, and our lives become socially impoverished because we're not willing to get out of our circles and meet people who are different from us. I'm going to wrap up with this story, but one of the people I struggled the most to love were my in-laws. I am a social butterfly. Like, I love people. I love doing things. I love going out, meeting people. I love my friends. I love my family. <sighs> my in-laws are like the epitome, the apex of homebodies. When I said I was going to go out to meet my friends when I moved in with them, they said, why? I was like, what do you mean, why? Do you not have friends? Do you not meet them? And slowly but surely, I began to realize that, no, they don't. They really don't. They don't see the need to leave the home and go see their friends. They could just call them. I'm like, What? Next time I said, I'm going out, they said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go exercise. They said, why? I said, what do you mean, why? <laughs> because I want to. And I'm struggling, and, and, and I tell you this, these are just two of the, the most, like, very subtle things. But there's a lot of things that I'm trying to resolve, this conflict, but they're just not my kind of people. And I live with them. 
And I say, Lord, Lord, how do I love them? How do I live in harmony with them? Believe me, church, that there are people here, even in this room, where they are not your kind of people. There might be some of us that avoid a certain kind of people, and we avoid certain people here, even in this small church. You may have that. You may have had that at your Thanksgiving. Might have been that uncle or that certain cousin that we all are just like, not my kind of people. But church, I believe that the heart of Christ, the heart of Jesus says that every single person is made in the image of God and is worthy of dignity and respect, no matter how damaged or broken we may see them as. I don't understand my in-laws and their story fully. But I think one of the most profound things that happened this past Thanksgiving was it was my birthday. And I had to leave. (laughs) Yes, thank you. I had to leave. I wanted to go be with my family, you know, my kind of people. But my mother-in-law, who doesn't celebrate birthdays, doesn't see the importance of them, made me a birthday breakfast. And so I ate it. It was a lot of food. I'm not a breakfast person, but I ate it. And I took the time to sit down and just kind of hear her story a little bit. And something that the Lord just showed me was how important it was for me to just take a moment and listen. When I heard her perspective and story, it didn't make sense to me. A lot of it was seemingly to me out there. Yet the Lord reminded me of these three things. Have the mind and attitude of Jesus. Listen. And be humble. And as I sat there with her, I could hear the Holy Spirit teaching me how to speak into her life. How to not just be her son-in-law, but be the son that maybe she always wanted. To treat her not as a mother-in-law, but just as mom. See, church, that's the heart of God. And that if we're going to live in harmony, we got to get past our discomfort. We have to get past that uncomfortable barrier that we put up these walls against these people we just don't seem to quite mesh with. Let me ask you this question. When God came to earth in Jesus to find you, were you God's kind of people? None of us were. What it means to sympathize, what it means to sympathize means to get into someone, get into one another's skin. Hop into their shoes. Hear their story. Because that's exactly what God did for us in Christ, isn't it? Pastor Andrew, I just want to invite you guys to come up as I close. See, God stepped into our skin literally 
physically stepped into our own skin. He saw life through our eyes and moved towards us when we were broken and rebellious. And now he calls us to do the same thing. He says, church, let us live in harmony, even with your not kind of people. Move towards each other in love. And then take it out into that broken world that's so filled with hate. Church, be that person. Be the light that this world needs. Let it shine through you like a bright star. And would you share God's love so that we could all live in harmony in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to go, I want to invite you to join me in a time of communion. Because this conversation of harmony would have never started had Jesus not opened that door for us. And we see him do this by coming into our own skin as man. Struggling the way we all struggle. But he takes it a step further to show us what a life of harmony looks like. And he shows us this with this attitude of sacrificial love. And we see this through this. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross. And so I want to invite you to just remember what God has done in your life. So that when you do walk out through these doors, you are taking the light of Jesus, keeping it inside of you, but not keeping it to yourself, but going out there to be the light that people need. My mother-in-law said, you see the sun? It's out there. It's bright. But it's actually really dark. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of war. There's a lot of hate going on. I don't think we need to add to that. Church, as we take communion, would you receive the love and light of Jesus today? And go share it when you go go out to the world. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.